It's been long understood that owning a home is the American dream. Housing prices are continuing to surge across the nation. As a result, monthly mortgage payments have now become increasingly unaffordable for the typical buyer. Well, for us millennials, it's kind of becoming a distant dream. The housing market is adjusting and it's adjusting in a big way. Scratch that, it's actually becoming a nightmare. Housing is much more expensive. Buyers are having to grapple with higher costs of housing while at the same time they're navigating higher prices for things like gas and groceries and childcare. The average home price in America has been on a tear. We've seen mortgage rates increase roughly two percentage points since the end of the year last year. Buying a house has never been more difficult. The mortgage payment for a median price home in the United States is up 43%. So buyers are saying I've had enough and sellers are starting to freak out a little bit. Since the pandemic, average home prices have increased by a staggering 33%. If the recent data has shown us anything, it's that the housing market is slowing fast. Yesterday, mortgage purchase applications fell to the slowest pace since May of 2020. We're seeing that buyers are under a lot of pressure right now. If high prices weren't enough, mortgage rates which reached record lows at the start of 2021, are now rising at their fastest pace in decades. So what can first-time buyers do? Today on Things Have Changed, we're going to talk about the housing market, the different factors that are impacting it, and the big, big question. Could there be a likelihood of another 2008 housing market crash? Well, tune in. If you'd known how important the technology economy was 20 years ago, would you have done things differently? The internet, cell phones, the cloud, and data. Things have changed. We're here to talk about it. Hi, I'm Jed. Hi, I'm Shikhar. Welcome to Things Have Changed, your new economics and technology podcast. So apparently, us millennials don't work too hard, and uh, we spend too much time on brunch and avocado toast, Starbucks, Ubers, Netflix, iPhones, memes, selfies. Um, So I guess what we should do is we need to spend less time on all of that and spend more time on particle physics. Why, you may ask? Because then we can travel back to 1974 and buy a house for $50. Yeah, we should just figure out how to make a time machine. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Oh, just save. And if you don't spend the six bucks you spend on Starbucks every day, you can have enough for a home. That's a ridiculous argument. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Maybe it worked in your generation where a home, you could afford it through a minimum wage salary, right? In the 70s, 80s, you could still do yeah. that. Affordability wasn't so much an issue. <laughs> Since the pandemic, we had that in the intro, but it's just been ridiculous. Um, but the thing is, you know, we spoke about supply last episode, um, the demand too, right? Obviously low supply. And if you have slightly higher demand in certain areas you know we're talking about on average a home that sold in april of 2022 had nearly six offers you know what's the funniest thing like we we have Mm. you know so many listeners from canada 
uh, and just wanted to give a shout out. If you're Canadian or live in Canada, you know what's up <laughs> with, with this whole housing prices being on a tear. I guess, I guess you weren't listening to our episodes enough, guys. <laughs> in the last two years, a lot of things happened in Canada. Yeah, an average Canadian home is double that of a U.S. home. The av- <laughs> dude, the average price of a Canadian home is eight hundred thousand Canadian dollars. What the hell is that? That's a lot of money, guys. Insane. If you're one of the few people, if, if you're one of our listeners from America, for example, Shikar mentioned, you know, uh, home on average, the close in April had about six offers, right? So what does that really mean? Just to give you a little perspective um, in this buying process, why it's so difficult, right? So typically when you're buying a house, you put down an offer for that house, right? You have to assess uh, the price that you're comfortable with. Obviously, it has to be relatively close to what, what the seller's agent had, had put on you know, the home or the ad that you have seen. And then you put in an offer. The reason why there's multiple offers is that you're competing with other buyers to grab a home, right? So you know, you could put in an offer, for example, for a $750,000 home, you could put in an offer for $750,000, but if they know there's other sellers interested, some buyers' agents or some buyers' real estate agents and some other buyers may put in offers for 800K, right? Which is what we saw in the pandemic. If you were buying a home in the last three, four months, you know this because you've been competing with a shit ton of buyers <laughs> and you probably closed at a price that was way above what you were thinking about, right? Um and so, you know, that's what's been happening in the last uh, six or so months in the U.S. Uh, you know, a couple of factors that may have hit that just to share with you uh, the story, right? Inflation was crazy, right? Everything's more expensive. We talked about it all of last year here at CHC. Inflation was nuts. We had like 10 episodes. <laughs> yeah, 10 episodes on yeah. just inflation last year, right? And then, and then we had an episode about the rates rising um, and how the Fed needed to control this inflation, right? So rates rose. What did that mean? We talked about credit card rates increases, et cetera, you know, but mortgage rates also were increasing. So when those rates increased, all those buyers were like, oh shit, I got to go buy a home. I'm not exempted from that because I did exactly that. <laughs> I did exactly that during the pandemic because I was afraid of the rate increases that it was going to go back to the 30, 40 year normal that we've had. And so I went out and bought a home, you know, and, and, that buying process at this at this point has been so difficult because it was very hot during the time. It's a different story in this month. And I think just to share with you a little bit of what, what has happened, for the first time in a very long time since 2019, prices are actually getting cut in some places, only some cities at this point. But in May, this month, we've actually seen the market cool off a little bit. So you're telling me Mm. There is a shot. You're telling me there is a shot. It's not a distant dream anymore. I'm not, I'm not there is necessarily a saying there is a shot. <laughs> because oh, so there is no shot. Affordability. affordability is still at an all-time low, buddy. So <laughs> Okay. So I'm going uh, back on mute. That's an added complication. <laughs> 
No, but you know, it's it's the first time we've seen prices actually get cut and what we've been expecting, what the, the economists have been preaching all this time. Oh, these prices are so unsustainable. The prices have to drop at some point, you know? And this is that point. We are actually seeing prices drop. A note over there, like higher interest rates mean higher mortgage rates, right? And that means higher monthly payments for the homeowners that have variable rates. So, I mean, all this while, people knew inflation was 6-7%. And if inflation is 6-7%, if mortgage rates are 2-3%, that's basically free money, right? So, people really leaned into that idea, oh, okay, this is the easiest time to borrow. Let's borrow and b- buy a house, purchase that asset that we wanted all this while. And now what's happened is the mortgage rates are increasing, causing payments to increase. It's harder to, to borrow money. That's the whole point of a rising interest rate environment. Increasing so rates. it's it's yeah. interesting, you know, now suddenly this kind of put a dampener on the infinite demand for houses. Right. And, you know, when we talk about uh, buying a house being more difficult, this is largely a lot for uh, the new entrants in the market, right? As Shaker was talking about last year, if you close on a house last year, your entry rate could have been as low as 3% for the mortgage rates here in the US, right? Could have been as low as 3%. That's crazy, all right? We haven't seen that in a long time. This year, if you're trying to close on a house this year, it started off at about, you know, higher 3% in about uh, Feb and March, it started hitting high 4%, right? And then when I finally got my home, it already hit 5 I saw this live happening live prior to interest rates even going up uh, from the Fed. Just the expectation that interest rates were rising caused uh, the mortgage rates to increase themselves, right? So, you know, the average for a 30-year fixed mortgage rate, which is, by the way, the least risky at this point when interest rates are rising at the highest rate ever, you know, be cautious about getting a, a adjustable rate at this point, you know, think about those things. In, if you're in the US, a uh, 30 year fixed rate might be the move for you at this point, since we don't know when, when the top is going to be. But an average for a 30 year fixed rate mortgage now is at 5.3%. Okay. It's starting to decrease. Literally, I just saw an article about this, which I'm mad about because I bought a house before it started to decrease. But the fact yeah, is, yeah. you know, We've hit this not all-time high, but a pretty high rate in the last two, three years. Yeah, and the speed. Exactly. It was quick. Because, I mean, in, in six weeks, six weeks, it went from 3 to 5.4, right? And what does that mean? Well, if, say, a borrower buys a house for $450,000, at 3%, they end up paying 1900 for a monthly mortgage price, right? Yeah. Now at 5.3% mortgage rate, they now pay 2500 a month. Both of the home is expensive and now the mortgage rates are going up and it's this weird phase where affordability is just at all-time lows. Exactly, exactly. And and you know, I don't know about you, but I don't have $580 just sitting somewhere <laughs> to add to the cost of my mortgage, right? And so do a lot of other people. It's very difficult itself to already afford rent, more or less a home that you if you get a vi- um an adjustable rate as well, that could kill you if these rates are rising so high. 
you know, and we've been under the assumption that rates have been the lowest they've ever been in a long time, especially post-pandemic when we were having, or sorry, during the pandemic when the Fed decreased the rates at historic lows as well, right? So, you know, it, it's becoming a lot more difficult for people to get into the whole American dream, which is what we were mentioning um, in in the intro, right? And the, the typical rule, you know, just with uh, living accommodations, right? The typical rule is that you shouldn't spend more than 30% of your income on your, your living expenditures, whether that be rents or your mortgage, right? Just a general rule of thumb. Otherwise, you have a different classification in the eyes of the statistics bureaus across the country, meaning that you're, uh, you're overburdened with living expenses if you're paying more than 30%. Um, of your income to your living expenditures, which is kind of wild because as a percentage of your income in the United States, as an average now, a person is paying more than, you know, 34% of your monthly income to rent. So it's, it, it's kind of interesting to think that like now there's a lot of American, the average American is overburdened with your living expenses. So that's that's an interesting insight that we found through this research. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we were talking about supply, right? Okay, where are the new homes? Where are the new houses? Well, uh, people are trying, are seeing the sentiment out there and being like, okay, people don't want to buy. Maybe we drop prices. Maybe we drop, maybe we list our home. So this very interesting stat that I read now, an investor, right? Um, it, when rates are 3%, they can technically afford two homes at that 3% rate. But now with the rates at close to 6%, they can afford only one house at 6%. So it's interesting how now all of a sudden, there are people who, are, who have not, I guess, planned right or, or need liquidity right away, have to let go of they are asset that they have bought at all-time highs. Now, like you said, a lot of interesting things have been happening in the market, right? And it's conflicting data that we're seeing across the world, okay? In the United States, it's really different than 2008 because relative to how it was before, everybody with mortgages now relatively has better credit scores, has better financial footing than their counterparts during 2008 financial crisis. What we saw in the 2008 financial crisis was a lot of really irresponsible lending, which changed obviously right after, um, where lenders now have certain standards and you have to go through very rigorous processes even to just afford a mortgage, you know, beyond affordability. Um, and right now, homeowners have way more equity in their homes relative to how it was back in 2008, right? So that's why we think it's a little different. People are technically wealthier now. Um, and also have uh, better financial uh, footing than their counterparts in 2008. So th those are why we don't think it's necessarily the same as 2008. Not to say that it's not necessarily a crisis, um, because there's a lot of other factors that contribute to what a housing crisis could look like. So what you're saying is it might not be as bad as what happened then, but it's still not ideal. Oh, absolutely not. I mean... It's not just us saying these factors, right? It's a lot of experts of housing, of lending that are saying that this is still unsustainable, but it's not going to be a crisis that completely 
uh, destroys the GDP of America or um, people's uh, wealth, right? It's not the same. It's not the same as what it was in 2008. But but there's some factors that are definitely scary that's happening around the world, right? Because while we have our housing controls because of that housing crisis in 2008, it's not necessarily the same across the world. Um, other rich countries didn't implement the same type of lending procedures that we did, for example, because they had never had a scale the same as United States with borrowing and irresponsible lending. They have certain controls, uh, preventative controls in the beginning. But at this point, they still owe a lot of money. In Australia, homeowners average debt as a share of their income, meaning how much they make on a monthly basis, has inflated up to 150% of their income. That's household debt. And this could be more than just a mortgage, right? This Whoa. could be credit cards. This That's a lot. Other, other factors that have swollen up to 150% of their income. In Europe, in Europe, okay? And we saw this in February. Um, if you're... Uh, paying attention to a really, really important organization in Europe, which tracks financial stability. They have something called the European Systemic Risk Board, which are specifically made to watch economic factors from crashing. They put out a warning to a certain amount of countries, uh, Denmark, Luxembourg, the Netherlands, Norway, and Sweden, a lot of Nordic countries as well in there. Um, what they warned of, what they warned about in in February was that there was an unsustainable um, amount of mortgage debt in the system. What does that really mean? A shit ton of people just owe money for their houses, which uh, you know historically hasn't been an issue, because in these Nordic states, actually, a lot more people rented, but because of the low interest rates, a lot of people decided, oh shit, why not buy a house? You know. So a lot of people, especially during the pandemic, turned to buying houses, you know? And Schicker already talked about um, our Canadian counterparts, which have bought a lot, a lot of houses. Um, and, and their uh, uh, household debt to income ratio is also pretty bad. It's at 137%. Um, and, you know, these kind of factors are important to look at because if you think about it, a lot of debt has interest rates tied to it. And now that interest rates are rising, if some of that debt is not fixed, then you're ultimately paying a lot more for what you had borrowed before on the assumption that these were low. And you know what's interesting around the world, dude? I didn't know this, but you know what's interesting around the world? Um, hmm. In America, we have 30-year mortgages, right? We have a very long period yeah. of a fixed rate you can, you can adjust it on. In other countries, it's not 30 years only. In other countries, you can actually get fixed rate loans that'll only protect, it's a mix. It's a fixed and, and adjustable rate loan, which is that in the first two years, in the first five years, in the first eight years, it's fixed. And then in the next, you know, all the way till you finish up your debt, it's oh, going wow. to be variable, which is interesting because it's a misleading stat to say that there's a lot of fixed, um, fixed rate loans in other countries, which... Their timelines are a little bit skewed. There was a really interesting study. We're going to link it in the in the show notes about um, the composition of debt in in these other countries, right? So it's it's interesting in that sense. In America, a lot of people have a lot of equity, whereas in other countries, they're mortgage owners more than complete owners, right? So that that's an interesting stat. So we'll also share the article um, that talks about what percentage of the households have uh, mortgages versus the households that don't have mortgages. So Owning your house outright means you bought it all cash or you've paid your mortgage off. 
right? So the difference is that you still have debt on it if you're a yeah. mortgage holder. Um, and, you know, it, it's not unique to the United States that demand is outstripping supply. I mean, we don't have to keep harping on this fact, but the, the fact is a lot more people want to live in homes because of the pandemic. Think about it. People wanted more space. People wanted two bedroom, two baths that they couldn't afford in uh, in apartments anymore. So they wanted to expand to a home. It was actually cheaper for yeah. me to get a home rather than rent at this point, which is crazy. <laughs> yeah. and But it's interesting, dude. I was reading some stuff about how, um, you know, once these companies said um, hybrid and remote is all all good. And now companies like Apple are pulling people back. A company like Apple, which is so collaborative in nature, uh, they're like, no, you got to come <laughs> back to Cupertino. So uh, my, I, I think I told you this offline, but my sister's f- like friends moved out to, to where they lived in the suburbs, uh, bought a home, and then suddenly Apple called them back and now they're selling the home. <laughs> and like there are no takers. It's interesting. Jesus, man. And uh, just to sum up what you said, it seems like there's more debt in the nordic countries in australia in canada not as much in the us at least till now during the 2008 crisis there was a lot relative more to debt. income yeah relative to income mm-hmm. yes it's quite interesting i i just wanted to add on the structure of this debt one more thing to make you more comfortable about the united states not having the same position is that more than 70% right now of of homeowners in the United States have mortgage rates less than 4%. I want you to think about that when we leave this conversation. Wow. Because it's kind of crazy if you think about um, mortgage rates being below 4% right now, where everyone who gets in the market in the next, I don't know how many years at this point, will not have that luxury ever until we have another um, uh, pandemic that will force the Fed to, you know, black swan event will force the Fed to reduce rates again. But right now at this point, the the central banks of the world are focused on increasing interest rates to tame inflation. So I I do want you to think about the structure of debt as well in these countries, because by contrast, dude, by contrast, in Finland, almost all of the loans are adjustable rate loans, um, variable rate loans that are based on interest rates. How great oh, you know is, what it that is that a lot of- That's a recipe what? for extreme disaster <laughs> <laughs> right there. You think about it. It's like a credit card for every home that you have. Everything is adjustable rate, right? So, you know, it's it's an interesting God. environment that we've, we've put ourselves in, right? But I'm not saying there's about to be crises, crises in these other countries. I'm just saying that relative to what we saw in the financial crisis of 2008, they're much more similar to that environment than we are at this point. Yeah. Let me ask you this question. Do you think a home in Canada should be two times on average more than a home in the US? Yeah, because people are nicer, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, it's just, it's just silly because um, some of the price rises and reports, articles, um, testimonials from, from people who have been lucky enough to, to get in super early, 2005, 2006, in Canada, and they're up like 20x, 30x. This ain't Amazon.com in 1997. This is a home in Canada. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. 
It's just ridiculous. But this was a really fun episode to do. It was fun to research about uh, the housing market in general since we are not experts, but we are participants in the market. So it's been nice to learn about what's going on in the overall market. But what's going to be interesting to talk about in our next episode is going to be around affordability, right? Which is one of the most ignored factors in the real estate market in general is the fact that people can no longer afford these homes. Um, and we're going to talk about, you know, some factors that may be helping with the affordability crisis and what governments are doing around the world to, um, to address this issue. Um, and a, a really rising factor, which I'm sure you've paid attention to if you live in a major city, homelessness. If you've seen the amount of homeless people rising in your city, you know that, that this is an issue. And not just for the property owners around the areas that um, are experiencing homelessness, but also for obviously the homeless people themselves. And that is a reflection, a direct reflection of the rising inequality and the issues of affordability of of housing. So stick around um, for our next episode on that. But until then, just like we always say here at CHC, stay curious.